Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. This episode is the second of a three-part series titled, God Did What? Please consider listening to part one before listening to this second part if you haven't already heard it yet. This part is picking up with a slight overlap from the previous episode. This section, The Ultimate Promise. During those 1500 years, through a couple of his prophets, God said a change of covenant would be coming. This was the plan from the beginning of creation we noticed toward the beginning of this episode. This plan is to be the ultimate redemption for human creation, and it allows us to be fully, perfectly, and eternally reconciled with our Creator. Jeremiah 31-32 through 32 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. In Ezekiel 36.26 it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Wow! The old would be completely replaced and no longer have any spiritual consequences. The new covenant would not be like the old. The new would include a new heart and spirit from God Himself. The new would be a perfect God, graciously giving perfection of heart and spirit to those who wanted a love relationship with Him. This section is, What Happened to the Old Covenant? The Book of the Law. Jesus did what no one else could do. Through His perfection, He fulfilled the law. He alone could keep it perfectly. His perfection qualified him to pay the price of our imperfections. Matthew 11:17 says, Do not presume that I come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled what humans never could. Imperfection cannot make itself perfect. The supposedly super-righteous of Jesus' day were known as the Pharisees. Most of them focused all of their energy on following the book of the law to the nth degree. They were law-keeping specialists. But that didn't make them righteous. They believed in the law, but maybe not so much in love. Their relationship with God was defined by their ability to keep the rules, not by His love for them. It wasn't good enough. Matthew 5.20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus vividly and accurately pointed out how the spirit of the Old Covenant was impossible for people to keep. Oh, the letter of the law may be kept to some degree, but even that was not without fail. However, the spirit of the law, it couldn't be kept perfectly at all. Ever. Matthew 5:27-30 says, You have heard it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away from you. 
for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The soul was always in danger of the consequences of inevitable failure. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. According to the law, we must be perfect, even as God is perfect. That is required to be in a love relationship with a perfect God. You and I both know that's an impossible standard for imperfect humans. Imperfection cannot make itself perfect. But perfection can. Perfection is the work of Jesus on the cross to make us perfect. It's not of human effort at all. This is grace. This section is the gospel. Jesus loves us and wants to rescue us from imperfection so we can be in relationship with him. John 10, 9-11 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The invitation of Jesus is for us to find rest and comfort in a love relationship with him. Matthew 11:28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, and my burden is light. Jesus isn't weighing us down and tiring us out with burdens of rules and regulations. We can rest in our relationship with Him. It's even comfortable to be with Him. Our acceptance of His grace means our souls can experience peace and tranquility. It's what He has for us, not what we have for Him, that matters most. John 1.17 says, For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John 8.32 and 36 says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. John 14.6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Grace, truth, freedom, life, abundant, boundless, overflowing life. Jesus is all of these and more. The law? That's old, and it's over. It's of no spiritual benefit or value. Moses is no more. Now it's all about Jesus. Grace, truth, freedom, life. Jesus is good because Jesus is love. In his perfection, he has given us new and perfect hearts and spirit. The promise of Ezekiel 36.26 is fulfilled. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We can take on Jesus' perfection and now have a relationship with him where we can have grace upon grace, truth, freedom, and life abundant. 
This section is, it's not the law and grace, it's the law versus grace. They are mutually exclusive. The rest of the New Testament has a lot to say about the purpose of the Old Covenant, the relationship of it to the redemption of imperfect humans, how ineffectual it is for daily living, and its impotence regarding the judgment of believers. Romans 7, 5, and 7 says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were brought to light by the law were at work in the parts of our body to bear fruit for death. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Romans 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law, including the Ten Commandments, was to identify, to reveal, to expose imperfection. If there is no law to do that, then there is no standard. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Justice and mercy are based on law. Spiritually, this goes beyond our mere behavioral practice of law. It includes our beliefs, thoughts, and attitudes. So the law has its place, but giving us righteousness isn't a part of it. It can't make us perfect, nor give us the fullness of life perfection brings. Galatians 3, 21-25 says, For if a law had been given that was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has confined everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The Old Covenant had limited functionality. The Book of the Law could reveal imperfection, the inability to keep the law perfectly, but it couldn't make anyone perfect. It couldn't impart or give righteousness. Behavior tends to be the human focus of the law, even though someone may seem to be 99.9% law-abiding, imperfection is still the result. Nor is behavior alone sufficient for righteousness. By showing us how imperfect we are, the law gives us a reason to seek for what is eternally perfect and true, Jesus. By faith, having come into a love relationship with Jesus, having entered his rest and his comfort for our souls, we no longer strive in vain for perfection or measure our righteousness by the law. Galatians 5, 2 and 3 says, Look, I, Paul, tell you that if you have yourselves circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obliged to keep the whole law. James 2, 10-11 says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a violator of the law. So speak, and so act, as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. The law is unforgiving. 
It requires perfection. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. There's no grading on a curve comparisons with each other or even ourselves. As Jesus showed in his Sermon on the Mount, any point of the law twinged in any way, even the slightest of thoughts and attitudes, is failure. Guilty is its only judgment. Death is the required consequence. Galatians 3, 10-13 goes on to say, For all who are of works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous one will live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, the person who performs them will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Of course, it's a curse to all who would try to keep the law for their righteousness. The only option for the salvation of humanity is belief in the perfection of Jesus who took on our imperfections, resulting in the curse of death from which he resurrected. Through faith, we can be made perfect in relationship with him forever. The focus of the law is on what is wrong or what is against the law. It wasn't God's main desire. Hebrews 10, 8-9 says, First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire. You were not pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. When Jesus came and perfectly did God's will, God set completely aside the Old Covenant and fully established another one, one of grace, not law. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What was in the heart was most important to God. God has always been looking for a love relationship with his human creation. There is no blending of law and grace. The law was set aside. It's over. Done with. It had to go in order for the second to be established. With the law being done away, then grace could be established. They can't coexist. One or the other can be accepted, but not both at the same time. Jesus' followers are not under the law for any reason whatsoever. They are under grace, and only grace. Romans 7.8 says, but sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 7 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. The law targets human imperfection. This makes our desire for evil insidiously powerful, leading ultimately to death. Only through Jesus can the law of sin and death be destroyed. Without the law, there is no guilt. By accepting God's grace through Jesus, we are adopted as perfect sons and daughters of a perfect God. 
We are a spiritual family of spiritual perfection. What an incredible love place to be. Therefore, we disregard the law in its entirety for our spiritual condition. This section is Hope and Certainty for Eternity. Romans 8.34 says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ is he who died, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Hebrews 6.18-19 says, We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to hold firmly to the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and reliable. In the permanence of Jesus, we are forever in a complete and unshakable love relationship with Him. Our hope in Him is absolutely firm and dependable. Hebrews 7, 24 and 5 says, Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is also able to save forever those who come to God through Him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is constantly presenting us to God as those who have died to the old life of imperfection and have risen to the new life of perfection. He is holding on to us more than we are holding on to him. We don't have to worry about his strength or desire to care for us. This section, the Book of the Law, including the Ten Commandments specifically, leads to condemnation and death. The Old Covenant, including the Ten Commandments, written on stone by God's finger, exposes our imperfections. Since that's all it could do, it led to condemnation and death. 2 Corinthians 3, 7-10 says, But if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory on his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory, because of the glory that surpasses it. Romans 7, 9-11 says, But when the commandment, which is you shall not covet, came, sin came to life, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 and 20 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as... And then he goes on to list. The law and commandments have no power in and of themselves, to make us perfect. Nor do we, no matter how hard or how many times we have tried, have the ability to make ourselves follow the commandments perfectly. Just knowing what is wrong doesn't help us to be right. All the law can do is condemn. Therefore, the Ten Commandments, along with the rest of the book of the law, serves to bring death.
During my time in my original church, I twisted verses and their meanings into verbal and contextual pretzels to make them say what the teaching of the church was. My desire to be intellectually honest chipped away at much of the teachings. Finally, only a very few teachings of the church remained for me, but they were really being held on to for the sake of not completely letting go of the church. When my struggle of trying to blend the gospel of grace with the remaining law became obviously futile, I had to make the hard decision to leave. But grace is about more than a transaction of being made perfect. It's also about that perfection being protected for eternity. And beyond that, it's about the context of spiritual family love. This concludes part two of a three-part series entitled, God Did What? Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know that your thoughts and questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.